This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Well, hi, I'm Lou Cirillo, and today I'm joined by Kevin Gentry. Uh, We're going to be talking about the skills product managers are going to need in 2021. Uh, The product school recently published a uh, a blog post talking about different parts of this. And I think every once in a while, it's nice for for us to kind of say, hey, you know, here's what the blogs say you need. Is that actually true? Do you really need these skills? Which ones are correct? Which ones are incorrect? And kind of with that, we're going to jump on in and, and Kevin... I'm kind of curious your thoughts. What do you think a product manager is going to need to do in 2021 that's going to be different compared to 2020? Ooh, interesting. Yeah, I, I think it, it goes down to a lot of communication, and it looks like that's what they've kind of outlined in this uh, article. Uh, you know, I, I think if we're all remote, right, and we're, we're learning how to uh, uh, communicate and, and uh, move teams forward, um, it just, you kind of, uh, you know, if you've, if you've ironed those skills out in person, then you, you kind of take a step back and more refine um, for the online and look at the, those common themes and, and, and double down on those themes. So I think that's it's even more important to kind of what are your communication practices and, and how do you kind of apply them in this new world, um, which would be interesting. So they, they mentioned here strong communication skills, team working and team leadership strategic thinking, time management, stakeholder management. I think all of that stuff is, is super important here. Um, well, so let's, let's yeah. dive into that a little bit. So strong communication skills, that's kind of a, it's kind of a blanket statement. So what do you think actually? Yeah. Makes like anyone needs that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I, I think it needs to, you need to be effective in a virtual environment. So when you're in zoom, you need to be efficient with your meetings you need to, um, I think, have an agendas. It becomes more important for agendas on meetings and, and learning what's efficient and, and drive for outcomes in meetings. Um, so, and, and then also written communication. I think it becomes even easier to micromanage in a virtual environment because you can just drop in and kind of, you know, uh, um, you, you might not be getting that face-to-face communication that you would be in person. So um, the managers are, are kind of left with their, um, you know, uh, not understanding what's going on and put them at risk of like, you know, micromanaging more. So I think it becomes more important to like, what's your verbal uh, written communication style. So uh, your updates, your um, like uh, level of updates and, and getting that out to the right people. And but what, what, what's your take on it? I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that dealing with Zoom and kind of what I'd call mixed team, mixed time zone, that's something you just you know brought up a second ago. But right, if 
if everybody um, on your team kind of disseminated, right. And some people are on the East coast, some are on the West, some are in the center. You kind of have to take that into account and think about it. I think the other piece too, that, you know, everybody probably became aware of in 2020 is that when you shifted to all zoom meetings, you kind of lose that bit of body language, that extra bit of non visual communication that comes when you're in meetings. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, you're going to find yourself having more Zoom meetings and spending more time. I, you know, I'd kind of say actually to for people to embrace that. And, you know, I know your calendar is going to get flooded. I know everybody's going to want a 15 or 30 minute of your time just to just to talk on Zoom. And I would say actually embrace that lifestyle because you're not having those quick five minute passing. You don't have your engineering team sitting right on the other side of the desk that you can just knock over and say, Hey, what's up? So, you know, you can yeah, Slack's find- a good tool for that. Like if you, yeah. Hey, can I ping you really quick or give you a ring and then um, do that within Slack or, or I guess, you know, that zoom has an integration there too, but um, quickly jump on a call. And um, yeah, I think that that's a very efficient use of the, the, that video conferencing as a communication tool. Yeah. So in kind of this as well, they talk about OKR, like setting OKRs and KPIs. And I think that's definitely an interesting shift because it seems like a lot of product organizations have been transitioning onto that OKR system over the last, you know, say two to three years. Are you guys doing that at your current company or... Yeah, we're a new, yeah, I mean, we're, we're what, 30 people, so uh, fresh, and the company has not a traditional, um, like, Silicon Valley type product, you know, organization, they're not used to this yet, so it's a little bit of an education, and, and um, uh, um, rolling that out in a thoughtful way, so I think one thing, I was, I was just gung-ho, I'm like, why aren't we doing this, let's do this tomorrow, uh, but with folks that aren't used to this, it, it's more of like, Hey, what are we doing wrong? And, and why are we changing? So, so to me, it was more, how do you communicate this shift of objectives? What's the value of it? And why are the product organizations moving towards this? Right. And, and put emphasis on that. So, so really, um, I spent a lot of t- my time this week kind of building that case and, um, outlining those issues and, 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 um, potential solutions, uh, moving to an objective-based framework, obviously plug the measure what matter matters book, uh, by John door. Um, it's a great read for any PMs, but I think it's been proven time and time and again, that shipping features and output does not deliver results. If you, if you ship for outcomes, you, you will see those results and, and that's kind of, and you celebrate outcomes, right? So that's just a mindset shift change that I think so many product organizations are adopting because, um, they see the top companies that are delivering those results, adopting this management style. So now it's just, it's become more of like a, um, it's been around for a while, but it's been more of like a trend of like, yeah, we need to be on that. We need to be on that. It's not even a question. Um, but it, it's been interesting to kind of, um, come fresh with a new company that hasn't heard of these things and, and kind of, uh, pushing them towards that style, which is, um, it's been, it's been a learning experience for me for sure. Yeah, I kind of, I agree with you. And I think there's a, a piece that I would say to take further with this, which is depending on, you know, where you're ranking inside of your product organization and what your responsibilities are, right? Um, you know, Kevin's obviously, you're setting OKRs for pretty much like your whole company, right? And at Ibotta, in our case, you know, we want to think about how can we set those for our groups, our subgroups, et cetera. And then how can we 
ladder them up so that everybody's pulling on the same page. I recently dealt with a situation with kind of OKRs where our retail team had their OKRs, then our product team had our OKRs and technology had technology's OKRs. And the reality was that they all just didn't line up and the dependencies that retail had were not being reflected in the ones that we had. And as a result, it was just kind of all over the place. So you know, I think that's yeah, what are your one- thoughts on that? I'm, I'm curious, like uh, for, for what types of teams should adopt objectives and key results framework? Like, is this, is this just product and feature teams? Is this teams across the company? I think um, like, yeah, I think it's across the company. Um, what we did with, uh, with Ibotta, we, we've kind of started organizing into strategic initiatives at the company level, which combine both product marketing, engineering, um, sales and, and uh, client partnerships. And as a result, I propose this year that we actually start setting OKRs at the strategic initiative level for at least half of the year. So 1H and 2H. Um, as a result, that way, our engineering and product groups can kind of say how we're contributing to that OKR, our retail team. like So we're all going in the same direction. I like so that I a think, lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a, a change that we just that we just did. Just got some SLT sign off on it yesterday, so nice. it worked out. Worked out pretty good. That's good. Yeah, because I, I I definitely saw them in the past when I was at Ibotta that they kind of ran up against each other and like you like you just mentioned, right? There's some teams that you know have differing objectives or dependencies that aren't called out in specific teams, and it just really I, I feel like you'll get lost in the setting it up, planning, defining the right objectives, then actually getting work done. <laughs> yeah. And it kind of slows more things down than it speeds things up. But um, how, and there's, there's my daughter um, on cue. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. It wouldn't be a zoom meeting without at least one or two children screaming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm curious to see like um, that. That's a good thought process. Like if you did a retro on the adoption of objectives and key results that I bought a, has that sped things up? Has it led to more, uh, to better outcomes? Has it actually done that or has it slowed down uh, working styles? I, I think in, in all honesty, that if I were going to say how OKRs worked for 2020, I would, suge- I would say that they maybe didn't work. And the reason I would say that is because if you let every single team right, have their own OKRs and they're just sitting here going, okay, well, this is the outcome I want to drive and maybe here are some of the initiatives. But the reality is that with a lot of OKRs, and I think what people don't realize is it's difficult to build and measure in a specified period of time, right? Like, let's say you set a quarterly OKR, but it takes you half a quarter to build an initiative. Are you really going to get the results in the last six weeks after you've launched it, rolled it out, made the changes that you want to make? It's pretty rare unless you can do initiatives or epics that are two weeks, you know, in framework time, um, then it doesn't make the OKR valuable. So in what I kind of think is that doing them at that strategic initiative level getting buy-in from cross-functional stakeholders, then ratcheting it down so that every team knows, here's what we're delivering at the top line. Here's the objective we want at the top line in a measurable period of time and how it's going to be tracked. Now we can back up and we can say, okay, well, we want to share that OKR. And here's the things that we're going to do to contribute to it directly. 
And that's where I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I don't think fractionizing them into squad level OKRs makes sense personally, even though that's right. so that, that, what we're working on. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you were if we were to kind of change history, go back and do things differently, it sounds like um, doing it at the initial level versus the squad level is probably the yeah. better approach, right? Yeah, I would love to see, you know, if if the goal is to get to 50 retailers in coverage, right? And you've got a retailer integrations team, uh, then clearly they've got to build <laughs> the the integrations, right? And the UX teams have to build, have to support that, right? So we're all sharing that goal, but it, it can't be on one team. And I think that's it's maybe the point. Ibotta might be at the size and, and you might be in a slightly different spot, but we're at the size where one team can't necessarily do everything. Right. Well, you create those silos again, right? Where yeah. you're, you're trying to avoid the silos with the squad work and then you end up creating them more with the objectives at the squad level. Yeah. And I think it's kind and, of interesting. Even at our size, we still deal with that concept, right? Because you'll have marketing or, or other departments even, I mean, departments at my company is one person, right? One or two people. So it's not like a big thing. But again, you have their expectation of what done is and their outcomes and their objectives and then your own, right? So if you don't have that kind of cross-team coordination, that alignment around the initiative and the outcomes, then you could still, even within a small company, have mis, uh, um, uh, priorities kind of hitting each other. Um, yeah, totally agree. So kind of thumbing down in this article um, yeah we've kind of hit on the hit on the remote working skills we've kind of got one here which is interesting it says stability sticking to your guns one less talked about skill because it's never been so important as stability and i'm kind of interested in what your take on that might be what makes for a stable pm and how does that affect the organization that's interesting um i haven't thought too much about that but i i think I think, I think it makes sense. I think there's, you know, you, you have to be nimble and flexible. And I think that's all like, we're, we're familiar with that and agile and, and, and trying to, um, you know, pivot to the, to the thing to achieve the objective. But I think where the stability comes in place is at that objective level at the vision. And, and if you're stable there, you know, then you can be nimble in other places, but I think there is some level of stability. It's just, where does that make the most sense? But. Uh, I think it kind of comes to an interesting level of people should, if you set the right expectations for what people can expect of you, like if they know that you're going to respond to them in Slack, you know, quickly after they send you messages, if they know that you're going to get back to your emails same day, if they know that you're going to come to every initiative planning with a well-written product brief, right? I think, in my view, those are the things that make for good stability in a PM is your teams know exactly what to expect of you and you maintain that, you consistently maintain that high standard so that they always kind of feel like, hey, you know what, we're going to do another initiative. I know exactly what I can expect out of Lewis for this. I know exactly what I can expect out of the design process. And I think that it's important, like, right, it, you can be, it can be easy to, I think, get lazy and, you know, um, I know in the case of one team that I had been talking to, they started off the year by doing design reviews with their designer and eventually got to the point where the only person who did work on the designs was the designer and the team wasn't involved. Then they would just kind of schlep it over to them 
and they would be wrought with with different errors and uh, you know or like wouldn't be something they could build which is a problem and then everybody's wondering where's the consistency i thought we agreed that we were going to do these design reviews together and when you don't do that that's a great way to erode trust and it also means that people get uncomfortable with you know are, we, are they just going to chuck stuff over the fence at me and expect me to do it yeah that's a great uh note that you just said right it, it erodes trust and i think that's so important as a product management to build that trust with your team and it sounds like that's what we're kind of getting at with the stability piece is like how do we how what are those processes and things that are super important for pms to be stable in to build that trust with the team it probably you know and that's it's a good point on on the trustworthy level there it's like and i think this is kind of goes into it people should get the same out of you every single day. Like there shouldn't be a day where like you're overly frustrated. There shouldn't be a day where you're just like, ah, you know, fuck it. You know, we're just going to hang out, chill. Like it should be kind of like you kind of come in with the same attitude. You know, this is my, this is my day. We're going to get through it. There are days where you are going to be frustrated, but it's important for you to take a step back and yeah. if, you are busy and somebody expects you to respond to them in Slack in your typical 30 minutes and you can't get to them. It's important to send a ping back and be like, Hey, just a heads up. I'm super swamped today. Like I'm going to have to, could you follow up with me tomorrow? Like it's important to just like take that step back and make sure that people know that you're consistent. Yeah. It's the, the leader part of the product management leader. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is true. I do like another one in here. It says seize the opportunity. And, you know, I think this kind of talks about a little bit while you're working at, while you're working from home, um, you know, this specifically talks about taking the time to boost some of your more technical or specialized skills, maybe, you know, take some time to read, um, you know, let your dog out of the house, et cetera. What, what do you think there? Seize the opportunity from home. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think uh, I can take that in a couple different contexts, right? At home, definitely. Um, yeah, take the time for yourself. Make sure that your um, your, your mental health is, is a good in a good place, and that that you know, taking those breaks um, when you when you have them. Um, seize the opportunity in the product. Um, way right like i think kind of leading with your gut and intuition is important and don't get wrapped up in um, data analysis um you know analysis paralysis <laughs> as much as you can um you know uh, try to uh, make decisions uh, to learn fast um and, and again seize those opportunities where your where your gut is telling you i think product management has a really good gut and i think it you know, more often than not, those are, it's, it's a, it's a good bet. So I think kind of going with that when you're making product decisions is important. Yeah. I think there's a point in here and you may, you kind of touched on it. It's like, don't let perfection be the enemy of good. I think was the old quote, right? Like, yeah. You know, and I, I kind of actually ran into a situation with that recently where we were like, oh my God, we kept wanting to like increment this feature and like make it better and better and better and better. And, you know, memory concerns and this and that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, you know, this feature has been operating pretty decently well on my computer for the last, you know, four weeks. Um, I know we're making a lot of technical improvements to it, but it might be time. Let's do a percent rollout and see how we can go. Like let's open it up to five or 10% and just give it a try. 
And I think, you know, that's, I think in seizing the opportunity, sometimes it's like, Hey, you know, take a step back. As you said, don't always focus on getting too deep in the weeds. Don't focus on being too perfectionistic. Sometimes it is just still having that ability to go for it. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what are, what's another one that sticks out to you in this article? Hmm. I, you know, I'm going to put it, they, they do have a kind of a, a point about owning a vision. And yeah, let's talk about that. You know, in a lot of the recent interviews we've been doing for PM candidates, um, I've done a lot of the product strategy interview. And in the product strategy interview, I asked two sets of questions. Um, one is, okay, do you know the fundamentals of strategy, right? Could you, uh, do you know how to dis- define things? Could you define, you know, the key elements of a strategy? The second part is actually trying to figure out if you can create something from scratch. Can you be a visionary? Can you look at a problem space and truly decide where it needs to go in two to three years with little to no background? And that is the piece that I think a lot of product managers need to work on is can they take a look at something and decide truly what that thing should be and own that vision, come up with it and think through it on a multi-year level and I think that's a skill that everybody should be practicing. The, it's easy to get a tactical PM. A, a tactical PM can make small micro decisions, basically make sure they're basically a project manager. But to be a visionary PM is the thing that we're really looking for. That's a great note to end on. And I think if, you, if you're out there and you have advice on how to build that skill set as you're in your PM career, uh, comment. Comment on that episode. Send us notes. Uh, rate, subscribe, share out uh, on LinkedIn or, or what have you and, and just get, provide feedback that way is, is a good way to do that as well. Um, with that, it looks like we finished up our coffee. So uh, go level up. <laughs>